Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. In the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, there was a great king. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. You can read about him and about Daniel in the first few chapters of Daniel. He had a dream. He could tell that the dream was very important, and it affected his emotions greatly. But as a powerful man, he was surrounded by a lot of people, some of them yes-men and some of them who had influence on him, and he knew that their influence was had an agenda, had a motive. So he needed answers, but he knew he couldn't get it from these men. And here, listen to this clip. This is a really insightful clip about how our thought life affects our emotional life. Turn to Psalm 142. And the seventh verse says, Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name, the righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. I want to read that again. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. So many people are facing a tremendous prison for their life, which goes on, well, so consistently. And the reason is, is because life has so many uncertainties and unknown quantities that come against us so often. And because it does, we have to face the possibility of having a situation put us in prison. As it puts us in prison, it's very important to know how to be released from the prison cell. The psalmist here is crying out, Bring my soul out of prison. The prison house usually happens to men and women in a consistent manner unbeknown to them. It's amazing how many dedications they make and how for periods of time they're able to be released from this prison. But nevertheless, to go right back in it again. Prison of the flesh. Prison to the world and prison, prison to the devil. Three major forces that cause a person to be put in prison. Any one of us that becomes a prisoner to the flesh has to face a most desperate situation. Number one, when we're a prisoner to the flesh, 
we begin to mind the things of the flesh. You'll see this over and over again in the lives of many teenagers as well as adults. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. In Romans 8, 5. But when the sixth verse says to be kindly minded is death, that's a prison house for the person who minds the things of the flesh. He's living in spiritual death and he lacks what it takes to be released from that prison. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Perhaps the next verse is the most devastating when it says for the carnal mind is it enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be so there's the threefold incapacity it's an enmity against God it is not subject to the law of God and it can never be. But then, the word says, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So here's the opposite. To be spiritually minded is life and it's peace. It says, but you, so then that are in the flesh cannot please God. There's not a single thing they can do to please God. But you are not in the flesh, if so be the Spirit of God dwells in you, but in the Spirit. Here's a picture of the flesh putting a person in prison and locks the door tight and keeps that person in prison and the word of God says in Proverbs 13.25 that the soul or the belly of the wicked shall be in want. That's Proverbs 13.25. I think it's the B part. The mouth of the righteous or the fruit of the righteous shall satisfy him. But the belly of the wicked or that person that has been placed in prison by his flesh, he's always wanting. He's always wanting. Now, Eric Sauer brings out a very interesting principle written in Germany that the reason that the Word of God uses the word belly and stomach for the emotions is because the stomach cannot produce anything, it simply is empty. And whatever food goes into the stomach, the stomach responds. If it's good food, it responds well. If it's not good food, it reacts. So, over and over again, stomach, bowels, reins, which means, as was mentioned, kidneys, over and over again, they speak always of the emotions.
So, the fruit of the righteous shall be satisfied, but the emotions of somebody that will not get right with God is always wanting. Now, when Satan comes to the place of dealing with a person to get them in prison, in their marriage, in relationships to the church, he always initiates through the thought process the kind of negative stimuli that will make your emotions have need. So you'll never be satisfied. And your emotions will never compliment you. So the emotions will always want. Now you think that over. And be by this route, he puts a person in prison and keeps them there. And they'll have an hour or two or a good afternoon or a good day, especially if they're going to have a relaxed time. But that's not deliverance. That's circumstantial happiness. They will have momentary changes in their mental attitude out of necessity for survival. And out of environmental need, they will have emotional changes in order to be sustained into some kind of adjustment to survive as an individual. But that is not repentance. And these individuals... And there are many of them. The, the universe is populated with them. The Christian church is filled with them. It's filled with them. You can be sure of it. And it affects their lives. It, 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 it uh, destroys some of the capacities of their children's hearts. And it really is detrimental to the entire individual. And this type of thing is designed by Satan to keep a person in a prison condition. This is the reason why these individuals are so temperamental. They're so temperamental because they're operating on a shoestring with their emotions. Some of them can hide it, but it still affects them. Others cannot hide it. So what happens is these individuals know nothing, not a single thing, about how to allow God to control their emotions and how to enter into a spiritual mind and whereby the law of life overcomes the law of sin and death. In Romans 8. They don't really understand how to be spiritually minded. Now, often somebody will say, don't touch that person. They're ready to go off like a volcano. They just completely lose control. And Satan, all their life, puts them in prison to their emotions. Now, then the world puts people... In, in prison. Worldly lust, worldly associations, worldly ambitions, worldly desires, worldly associations. So, when God said in 1 John 2.15, to love not the world, neither anything in the world, for the love of the Father is not in a person who loves the world, 
he was trying desperately to say that you were not made to live in this world system. And if you love the world, the world will put your emotions in prison every single time. And then Satan directly through demons and through a supernatural dinosphere put scores of people in prison directly by satanic projections and this is how he does it he takes advantage of Christians who violate the spiritual laws of life I'll repeat that again he puts people's emotions in prison who do not honor the spiritual laws of life for the mind. So, he directly, if a person does not honor Bible doctrine and the Word of God, they are a candidate to be a prisoner directly to the demons and to Satan. So, this happens over and over again. So, there's three possibilities for being placed in prison. The flesh, the world, and the devil. Now, I want you to notice when the psalmist cried, bring me out of prison, that he desperately made a cry in the Hebrew and the Hebrew author or the Hebrew scholar brings out that he cried in this connotation in the seventh verse is he cries and almost screams because he's going to die inside if he's not delivered. No wonder that Psalm 91 so beautifully teaches, I was with him, I was in him, I was with him, and I'll give him honors. Because it means I'm in him to deliver him, I'm with him to deliver him on the inside, I'm with him to deliver him on the outside, and I'm going to give him a future deliverance that will be forever. And that's the promise to every single child of God. I'm with you on the inside to deliver you. I'm going to go with you on the outside to deliver you from outside things. And I'm going to stay with you so I can deliver you from future problems. And this is what the Psalm 91 teaches. So the psalmist cries, get me out of prison. I want you to turn to Psalm 73, 20, 21. Psalm 73, 21. Now then, the emotions are designed for us to respond. The emotions are designed for our response. And they are empty until we initiate something to them. Therefore, if you read in A.T. Robinson's book in the New Testament on Ephesians 4, if you read from Vine's vocabulary study, you, you come up with this. It's very interesting that both of these harmoniously agree that the word heart is speaking of thought process and not the pump that produces blood in the human body. In the Old Testament, right here, the word is leb, L-E-B. In, in the Greek, it is kardia. And it means the mental organ that produces thought process. Now, I want you to get the picture. 
A.T. Robinson brings out that when Ephesians 4 says that they were alienated and their understanding was darkened, that one translation brings out that their thought process, their heart, was darkened and it began to feed the emotions with a stimuli that put the emotions in bondage. So the entire soul was alienated from the life of God. And that's the devil's purpose. To keep a believer mental and emotionally incapacitated to begin to experience inner deliverance, outer deliverance, and therefore future deliverance. So this verse says this. Thus my heart, that part of my soul that produces thought process, was grieved. And I was pricked in my reins, or in my emotions. Why was the heart grieved? Because Satan had the mind in bondage. The mind did not understand the word of God. The mind here did not obey God. The mind did not honor in humility the scriptures. So, something happened to grieve it. This produced a tremendous effect on the emotions, and the word prick is a very poor choice of words. The true word should have been not prick, but it should have been deeply affected with a wound. So this is the way it reads. My thought process was grieved because I was ignorant of it, practicing God's words. And my emotions were so deeply afflicted that they were wounded. You got that? Environment can do it. Can do it. Sin can do it. Personal habits can do it. Refusal to be disciplined in areas uh, that frustrate us can do it. But the point is, when the mind doesn't know how to be adjusted to truth, it's always, the emotions will always pay for it. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com Wasn't that good? So back to the book of Daniel. Daniel 2.28 This is what Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what shall be in the latter days, thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. (laughs) And then he goes on to tell him. So he doesn't only give an answer through some formula. But really, because he was fellowshipping with God, he got answers from God. And he not only got the answers, but he got the questions. And we see people, and we ourselves, 
There are many things that trouble people, and many of them are not even clearly defined to them. But yet, there they are, trapped in their emotions, trapped by something, having maybe a vision for their life, but unable to achieve it. And of course, there are all these people around who have an agenda, or have all kinds of advice about how that can be accomplished, how their dreams can be realized. But it's really only God. In Psalm 139, verse 2, Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. God knows our thoughts. Men are, there are some great convictions to have about people. If we really want to understand them. And though these next few verses sound kind of dark, it's important that we understand the nature of man and the nature of depravity. And many teach that man is basically good and that he's just broken or he's just sick. And that sickness idea is very popular in our society these days. But it's really much worse than that. <laughs> and in Genesis 6, 5, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Men are worse than just broken. Men are depraved. Men don't understand. Men are blinded. They're blinded to the truth. There's something inherently missing in mankind that only God can fill, only God can give what's missing. And that thing that's missing and that thing that's wrong with man would lead him down a path to hell. If it were not for God, we have no idea how much we need a Savior. It is amazing how much we need a Savior. And Jesus in John 2 24. Jesus did not commit himself unto, unto men. He knew all men. He knew this quality of mankind. And yet, here we have Genesis 1.27 saying, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female. Created he them. We are created in the image of God. And there is something amazing about us. We have a soul. That soul is precious to God. God has a great desire for us to redeem us, to redeem our thought life, to redeem our emotions. And so this idea that as people, Joseph spent time with God. He, he knew God. He had a relationship with God. He believed something about God's character and nature. He had been taught things from the scriptures as a young man and grew up in a community of faith not all the people in that community were really believers. But he made decisions to be a believer. And banking on the character and nature of God, he went to God for answers. He not only went to God for answers for this person, he went for the questions. And we do that. We have these convictions about people. That people are blinded. People are broken. People are needy. And yet, they're made in God's image. And God has a desire for them to reveal something to them. Because there's a God in heaven that reveals secrets that can't be found on our own, that are not found inside of us. They're found inside of him. And then once he comes to dwell in us, we then have a connection to the God in heaven through a relationship. Not through a formula, 
but through a relationship based upon the grace of God. Mm. So, what do we do for all these needy, broken people around us? Colossians 3.14 says, And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. We love. We love. We love people. We get love from God for people. We ask God to fill us with his love for people. And we direct them to Colossians 3 to set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Because once people know Jesus as their Savior, they're chosen people. They're amazing people. They're royal people, holy people, peculiar people. And in 1 Peter 2 9, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And the blind now can see and they're drawn into light and a life of holiness we'd love to hear from you so please go to our website and contact us the web address is www.graceinpublic.com if you've received Christ and you've been drawn into this life and you know either a little or in part or deeply and convicted in your heart about these truths of the scriptures, that our emotions will be led by our thought life, and that our thought life needs to be from God. We need to let the mind that was in Jesus Christ be in us, through the scriptures, through the hearing of preaching, through faith, through prayer, through relationship, through communication with God, and allowing him to communicate to us through the venues that he's given us in the world the Bible, the church, the preacher, in fellowship with one another, out on the street in evangelism. We go to talk to people about God. We knock on their door. But really, it's amazing how God talks to us through that encounter. Maybe you don't know him as your Savior. Would you like to? You have thoughts that are unspoken. You've told no one. You have dreams of your life, of what it could be. Would you surrender and allow God to communicate that dream to you? Would you allow Him to interpret your thoughts and bring you into a place where He can minister to you? The first step of doing that is receiving Christ as your Savior. He bled and died and was buried and rose from the dead 2,000 years ago so that you could know Him and walk in the light. Ask Him to be your Savior. Pray a prayer. Lord, come into my life. Save me. You prayed a prayer like that. This is contact us. Contact us. We'd love to hear from you.